Democrats are hoping the impeachment of Donald Trump will distract Americans from a growing scandal among their party, namely the fact that Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, and Elizabeth Warren are the frontrunners in the 2020 presidential primaries. DNC leader Fuzzy McNonot says he himself was shocked to hear the news from the campaign trail in a statement delivered in the stall of a gas station men's room where he was sitting on the toilet sobbing uncontrollably. Mr. Nonot told the ghost of his late mother, quote, our candidates are an old communist, a fake Indian, and a guy whose eyeball explodes when he's talking nonsense. When I said I thought anybody could beat Donald Trump, I meant any reasonably appealing, intelligent person with some actual idea about how to lead the country. I didn't realize I had to specify that, but I guess I did, unquote. Responding to reports that impeachment news was obscuring his campaign, Joe Biden woke with a start and responded, quote, It's great to be wherever I am, and I'm looking forward to sinking my teeth into America's problems just as soon as I find my teeth, not to mention America's problems. Meanwhile, I just hope our teachers are touching children because you have to touch children. At least I have to. What were we talking about? Unquote. Communist Bernie Sanders said he couldn't imagine why Democrats would try to hide his candidacy. He then promised to leap into his DeLorean and travel back in time to warn Trotsky to stay away from Stalinists with ice picks. Wandering around the parking lot looking for his DeLorean, Sanders said, quote, I know if I can just change history like Michael Fox did in Back to the Future, communism will work great, unquote. Elizabeth Warren's campaign, meanwhile, continued into a, in a freefall caused by her tactical error of explaining to voters what she was actually planning to do. Always a mistake with Democrats. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. Oh, hooray, hurrah. All right, here we are still in New York City where I'm here I'm here to celebrate Christmas with my family. It's always really interesting for me to be back in New York because not that not least because I get to talk to a lot more liberals here than I do back in LA. New York is a street city, so you interact with more people than you do in car-centered Los Angeles and you have more conversations and you overhear more, but also I know a lot of liberal people here, so I'm in a lot more social situations with liberals than usual. And I'm always reminded of two specific things about liberals. One, when you're not talking to social justice warriors and activists. Most ordinary Democrat voters are perfectly nice people. The genuinely silly stuff they say, like talking about pronouns or wishing the economy would crash so Donald Trump would be defeated, it's just like elite accessories, like an expensive pair of sneakers that makes people feel hip and virtuous and plugged into the zeitgeist. Last night I was at this literary Christmas party and I'm where, where whenever it came up that I was a conservative, the first thing people said was, don't tell me you oppose impeachment. Supporting impeachment was a shibboleth, a code word. This was how you showed you were one of the good people. Merry Impeachment Day, someone called to someone else at a local gym this morning. But I seriously doubt she'd lost any sleep over Trump's dealings with Ukraine. It's just something they say, and it just makes them feel kind of in with the in crowd. In fact, liberals mostly fulfill Robert Conquest's first law of politics. Everyone is conservative about what they know best. They don't, liberals don't like PC or cancel culture when it comes into their life or their workplace. And they all know that children need moms and dads, even if they wouldn't say so in just that many words. A lot of them say really racist things too, by the way, in that unconsciously disdainful way elite people speak of their lessers. It's not that they hate black people or anything, it's just that they wouldn't want one performing surgery on them. It's no wonder liberals are so obsessed with race and racism, they're essentially yelling at themselves, not at us. 
The second thing I notice is that liberals don't know stuff most conservatives know, and they don't know that they don't know. They don't know the news media is slanted to reflect and encourage their beliefs and exclude ours. They therefore don't know basic facts that conservatives find important, and when it comes to conservative points of view, they only hear the extreme things quoted to them by left-wing pundits. They never hear why we say what we say or even the serious points we're making. A lot of leftists at this party would just, would just fling things that some crazy guy had said at me as if I were somehow responsible for them, but they never heard things, crazy things that liberals said. At this party last night also, I was listening to this absolutely delightful lady telling me about how horrible Donald Trump was, and she was going on and on, and I finally said to her, let me just ask you this, does it bother you at all that the FBI used false pretenses to spy on American citizens connected to Trump? And you can guess what she said. She said, what do you mean? I haven't heard about that. <laughs> this sort of thing doesn't happen to conservatives because we're surrounded by liberal news and entertainment media, and we can't help knowing what's going on in their world. I frequently compare the rise of conservative rebel media like the Daily Wire to the American Revolution. This massively powerful empire of lies is marching in lockstep across the communications landscape while we pop up from behind trees and rocks and fire our flintlocks at them. If I'm right about the fact that most liberals are decent and that most of them are completely ignorant about what we think and ignorant about their ignorance, then, like George Washington's army, we may not have to defeat the empire of lies in battle. We may just have to survive until they collapse. And frankly, after eight years of their covering up for Obama and three years of their grotesque line about Trump and covering up for the evildoers and the leadership of the FBI and the CIA, the collapse of the mainstream media may not be very far away at all. It's a hopeful thought on this hate-filled uh, Christmas uh, season, so we'll, we'll cling to that for now. And we'll also talk about something really pleasant, which is Raycon earbuds. I have these with me as I travel. I've been using them to listen. I listen to audiobooks all the time, especially when I'm hiking. They are great. They really are. They're, they're absolutely terrific. They're better than the main, you know, the main brand. And I just, I just hate them, those, because they make me look like an insect, where these are very attractive. They fit better. They have adjustable uh, endpoints, and I have kind of strangely shaped ears that will not accept the main uh, earbuds uh, like these, and these just fit so much better, and they just have great, great sound. Raycon uh, just released their best model yet, the E25S. They have six hours of playtime, seamless Bluetooth bearing, more bass, and a more compact design that gives you a nice noise-isolating uh, fit. Raycon's wireless earbuds are so comfortable and they're perfect for on-the-go listening and for taking phone calls. They have this cool tapping thing. I guess the other ones do too, but this one just works a lot better. Now's the time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon. Get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com slash Clavin. That's buy, B-Y, raycon.com slash Clavin for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. Buyraycon.com slash Clavin. And if you tap them, they'll tell you, how do you spell Clavin? <laughs> it's K-L-A-V-A-N. There are no E's in There Clavin. are no E's in Clavin. I, I just said that. I just said that. I didn't need somebody to sing there it. There are no E's in Clavin. Stop, stop. The mailbag is coming at the end of the show, and so you want to... <laughs> You will want to hang on so that you will sound like that as all your problems are solved. I, let me just give you a perfect illustration of what I'm talking about. Red Nation Rising this morning put out uh, a clip, a montage of them going to a pro-impeachment Trump rally and asking the people uh, why they thought Trump should be impeached. And this was very much what it was like when I was talking to liberals last night. What's the biggest thing that Trump has said? What is the biggest action he's taken that's really pushed you to want to come protest? 
uh, the, the count, the list is endless. I, I don't think I could come up with a single one. Can you give me one specific thing that he's done? What's the biggest thing to you specifically that he's done? No, um, just it's it's from day one. He was just an evil, uh, evil mother. Um, well, of course, I'm going to make America great and that he's going to bring jobs and that he's taking care of everybody and that. Wait, so one of the worst things that he oh, said no, no, is. No, no, no. Those are the worst things. And also that um, when he said that uh, he was going to help the people from Syria and he never did. I thought that was the, one of the worst things ever. Just his entire person, the persona that he is, everything about him, just to me. Yes, everything about him. He just lies. Everything he does is. What's one of the biggest lies that really angered you? Uh, Michael, do you have something? <laughs> I love it. She's asking her husband, Michael, do you know anything which you should be impeached for? While she's standing there with the sign, the impeach Trump sign. It's a very fair representation of the liberals that I know who are, these are more working class liberals. I talk to people here in the literary world and all that. And so, so they're more sophisticated, but it's the exact same thing because, you know, they're just, they do what most people do when they get the news. They read the headlines and they read the headlines in their paper and they're not doing the things the thing about being a conservative is even if you do that, you're getting the liberal news. You're getting the liberal point of view all the time. You're certainly getting it from Hollywood. You're getting it from, uh, you know, just looking at the headlines on newspapers. And, you're, and the, way, the way the news is constructed, it's constructed for Democrats. It's constructed, you know, right this minute, for instance, this debate in the House is going on about impeachment, which will end with Trump being impeached. That's what's going to happen, I assume, unless something very starkly dramatic happens. They're arguing about the rules, and the rules are going back and forth, and people are yelling. You know, it's Christmas, so everybody hates one another, and they're just screaming at one another. But the thing is, everybody keeps saying now, everyone, not just Wolf Blitzer, keeps saying this is an historic moment, a historic moment. And I'm going to tell you the absolute truth. I don't think this is historic. I think this is a passing thing. It's historic in the sense that it, impeachment doesn't happen very often, but not historic in the sense that it's important. I think the important thing that's happening is this unraveling uh, FBI scandal. And I think when people look back in the history, the raveling, unraveling of this FBI scandal is going to be far more important uh, to our civil rights, to our civil liberties, and to what, whatever happens uh, to clear this up. If anything happens, if anybody is held responsible, those are the things that are actually going to make history. This impeachment is going to be a flash in the pan because it's completely partisan. It has got, it obviously has got Trump really ticked off. We'll play, let's play a little bit of uh, what Trump had to say about it, and then I'll talk about his, his letter to Nancy. It's a total sham. Uh, when you have a guy like Shifty Schiff go out and uh, make up a statement that I made, she, he said, this is what he said, but I never said it. He totally made it up. In Guatemala, they handle things much more different, much tougher than that. And because of immunity, has House immunity, because of immunity, he can't be prosecuted. He, he took a statement and totally made it up. It was a lie. It was a fraud. And you just can't do those things. So, you know, look, this has been a, uh, a total sham from the beginning. Everybody knows it. I've never seen the Republican Party so united. We've got our last vote, as you know, we got 100 percent of the vote. Uh, I believe the Senate is equally as well united. I watched Mitch McConnell this morning. Uh, I watched uh, numerous people last night, uh, senators, and I think we're equally well united. They know it's a hoax, it's a witch hunt, and it's just a continuation. It's been going on now for almost three years. And it probably started before I even won the election, based on what we're finding out with the insurance policy quotes and other things. So it's a disgrace. 
So he's making he's made no uh, secret of how he feels about this. But but he wrote this letter to Nancy Pelosi. And and what's so interesting, and this is what I mean about how liberals are like just lost. They don't know what they don't know because the media doesn't want them to know. So every headline about this letter he writes to Pelosi, every single one is, oh, it's deranged. It's lashing out. The New York Times runs a fact check on it. So I looked at their fact check and all it is is they're checking Trump's feelings about the impeachment against their feelings about the impeachment, calling their feelings the facts, okay? And try, and so they, they keep saying he's lashing out, he's angry, oh, they called it angry, the Times called it angry and rambling, it's deranged. And this is what, these are some of the things I'll give you, it's a six-page letter. But he says, this impeachment represents an unprecedented and unconstitutional abuse of power by Democrat lawmakers, unequaled in nearly two and a half centuries of American legislative history. You've cheapened the importance of the very ugly word impeachment. You dare to invoke the founding fathers in pursuit of this election nullifying scheme. Uh, These are just things I pulled out. Even worse than offending the founding fathers, you are offending Americans of faith by continually saying you pray for the president when you know this statement is not true, unless it is meant in a negative sense. And by the way, by the way, just so you know, Pelosi got up to give her speech in these arguments and she says the Pledge of Allegiance. She has the flag next to her. These are the people who when during the Bush era, uh, people responded to the attack on the World Trade Center with wearing clips. These are the Democrats who said, well, I'm a little, I'm a little uncomfortable with all this patriotism. Suddenly, they're great patriots. But, but okay, so they're calling Trump, you know, obviously there are two sides. They hate each other. They're screaming at each other. I mean, it's Christmas. This is the way we're supposed to behave, right? So, so here's Nancy Pelosi's reaction to the letter. No reaction. It's ridiculous. You have no reaction? Why not? No, I, mean, I haven't really fully read it. We've been working. I've seen the essence of it, though, and it's really sick. That's it was so sick. It was so sick, dude. So sick. So sick, bro. <laughs> but Nancy Pelosi said the future of Western civilization was at stake. Nancy Pelosi and all of them, I think, uh, Adam Schiff, they've all said, oh, it's a constitutional emergency. This is while they're taking vacations, they're getting ready for Christmas. It's a constitutional emergency, but I'm watching golf while we have this conversation. I mean, it's like the, all these things they've said, and I never heard that that was deranged. I never heard that they were lashing out at Donald Trump. You know, I mean, this is this is the thing that this is why people are standing on that uh, that protest line in favor of impeachment but they don't know why they're there. This is why, because all they hear is, oh, Trump is deranged. They, nobody read the letter. Nobody read Trump's letter. They just read the headline saying he's deranged, he's rambling, he's angry. We fact check it. We fa- they didn't look up at the fact check and see, see wait a minute, you just, you just disagree with them. That's not a fact check, you know? They don't look at those things, so they get the news the way most people get the news. They're busy, they're raising kids, they're doing all the stuff that people do. And, and so they just don't know what they don't know, whereas we are surrounded by it. It's like the air we breathe. The liberal ideas are the air we breathe. And so it's impossible for us to not, not know what they think. And it really is a, it's a big difference between us. The, the difference is ignorance, and the ignorance is caused by our corrupt press. And by the way, if you want to see Deranged, here's another impeachment rally in Los Angeles with the wonderful, absolutely terrific Elisa uh, Milano uh, leading the chant. Show me what democracy looks like! Show me what democracy looks like! Order! Show me what democracy looks like! Hello, snowflakes! Listen to me very carefully! I am angry! If he thought Greta was angry, he's seen It's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. 
<laughs> That's what democracy looks like, a premenopausal former TV actress. <laughs> what democracy looks like. I don't actually think that is what democracy looks like, but maybe maybe I just have an elevated idea of what it is. If I were How Nancy dare Pelosi, you? <laughs> if I were Nancy Pelosi, I would get on a plane, fly to L.A., surround myself with movie stars and beg them to stop helping her. I would say, please, please don't endorse our candidates. Don't uh, say, make speeches, don't make videos. Please, just leave us alone. We can do much better without you. All of this, all of this is covering up the fact that a major, major scandal about Obama's FBI, Comey's FBI, because I don't even know that Obama was responsible for this, but I think he knew about it. I just don't think he, I think even Obama may not know what he doesn't know. You know, I think maybe he was sitting there going, yeah, this is perfectly fine. But Comey's FBI messed with our civil liberties at a level that hasn't been seen since J. Edgar Hoover. And uh, yesterday, the chief, the presiding judge of the FISA court, Okay, because she was just totally lied to, totally scammed by the FBI. Uh, her name is Rosemary Collier. Uh, she put out a letter scolding the FBI. It was kind of a slap on the wrist. I mean, it had some weight behind it. But she said, she said the FBI's actions were antithetical to the heightened duty of candor. <laughs> Which is, an, you know, an interesting way of saying lying BS, right? It was antithetical to the heightened duty of candor that the go that government agents owe to a court. She said the frequency with which representations made by FBI personnel turned out to be unsupported or contradicted by information in their possession and with which they withheld information detrimental to their case calls into question whether information contained in other FBI applications is reliable. And she ordered the Justice Department to explain by January 10th what steps it was taking to prevent such lapses in the future, not lying would be a good one. That would be a good step. And she also indicated that she planned to release more secret material about the case in the coming weeks on the court's public docket, offering the possibility of additional insight into the government's most secret surveillance program. So here's how the three networks, ABC, CBS, and NBC, this is here's how they covered this rebuke from the FISA court to the FBI. Here's how they covered it on the evening news. <laughs> <laughs> crickets. I mean, basically nothing. They blacked it out. So if you're a liberal and this is where you're getting your news and these are the kind of people you're getting your news from, you don't know what you don't know. And this is part of the problem we're having. You know, they keep saying we live in two different realities, but it's just not so. Conservatives are living in an informed world. Yes, they have an opinion. They have a bias. That, that's fine. There are two sides to every story. We could argue those things out, but you can't argue with people if you have to explain what's actually going on uh, to them in the first place. And in the second place, they don't trust you. They've, they've been told that you're racist and they don't know you're not. They've been told that you're hateful. They don't know you're not. I mean, one of the things that people kept saying to me last night is, but you're so intelligent. You're so nice. And I was like, yeah, because all you hear is what the press is saying. Yeah, but the press is reporting the news. No, they're not. They just don't know. Shockingly, over at CNN, Wolf Blisser uh, uh, awoke from his long winter nap and suddenly realized he was a journalist. I don't know. This may have been a strategy because Andrew McCabe, remember that Andrew McCabe was fired by Jeff Sessions, like not exactly a Trump, a Trumpian, Trumpkin warrior, right? He was fired by Jeff Sessions because the DOJ, the same guy, Michael Horowitz, said that he had lied to FBI agents about the fact that he had improperly authorized releases of information to the Wall Street Journal about the investigation into the Clinton Foundation. He was trying to prove that he wasn't biased uh, in favor of Clinton, so he leaked this to the Wall Street Journal. 
and that he lied to FBI. He was accused, he denies it, he was accused of lying to FBI agents four times, three times under oath, okay? So that's why he was fired. Now, of course, he's a CNN spokesman, because if you get a guy who can lie in, to the FBI and almost get away with it, I guess you become, that you, that suits you for working as CNN. So, so maybe Blitzer was just thinking, I've got to at least make a show of questioning this guy, because he had it on, and it was a damn good interview. He really did nail him, and McCabe covered himself in shame, not surprisingly. Let's play the first of those two cuts. Everyone in the FBI, anyone who reads that report, is shocked and horrified by what they've seen in the recitation of the 17 errors. Shocked because we all believed, I certainly believe, that the procedures we had in place were enough to guarantee that accurate information was going to the court, and horrified because it cuts against one of our most fundamental duties, and that is to be perfectly accurate and truthful and complete with the court at all times. The, and that uh, didn't the then FBI director, uh, Jim Comey, he says it was sloppiness, but this wasn't just sloppiness. These were brutal mistakes, deliberate errors, concealments involving search warrant surveillance activities of an American citizen. They were very, very serious mistakes. They come into basically two different categories. Things that they told the court, which were not consistent with what we knew in our own files, and facts that we left out that we should have told the court. I will say, though, that the uh, IG pointed out in his report that he found no evidence that those misrepresentations were intentional. I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on in here. <laughs> You're winning, sir. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> It's just what it's like. It's like McCabe and Comey both were like, I don't know how this could have gone on while I was in charge of the bureau. You know, it's like, how, how could it possibly, possibly happen? And also, also, the other thing is that he lies. McCabe lies right there when he says that, or at least is not telling the truth right there, when he says that Harwood said he found no bias in the FISA application. That's not true. What he said was, what he said was that the instigation, the beginning of the investigation, met the very, very low bar of justification, and he wasn't going to question assertions by the agents that it was unbiased because he had no documentary proof of that, so he wasn't going to question it. Now, I question whether he should have questioned it, but, but that's what he said. When it came to lying on the FISA warrant, he said it was either gross ne negligence or it was intentional, and he wouldn't speculate about why they would do it intentionally. So, I mean, that's not true, what McCabe is saying. And the, the idea that, first of all, that he was shocked to find this going on is ridiculous. I will talk about this more in just a second because he also does something that's really unforgivable. At least I would find it unforgivable if I were an FBI agent. So many of those guys are such great uh, law enforcement officers. But I'll talk about it in a second. First, let's talk about rockauto.com. I love these ads because I love saying rockauto.com. And you, too, will love saying rockauto.com when you discover you don't have to drive to the auto parts store and sit there while somebody else goes through the computer, while you can go through the computer and get everything you need. Rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything you could possibly need, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. It doesn't matter whether you've got a classic car or just the car you drive around. Every day you can find it with a few what you need with a few easy clicks and it's delivered directly to your do door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Amazing selection, reliably low prices 
all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck and write Clavin in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. And they also have a box that just says, How Do You Spell Clavin? I'm amazed they guessed that right, but they did. So Wolf Blitzer asked them, What's the biggest, asked Andrew McCabe, who was acting director before he was fired, uh, what was the biggest mistake you made? Biggest mistake we made. Um, the, the biggest mistake, I think, uh, is the process that was in place essentially left so much responsibility on the lowest level of FBI agents and supervisors involved in the process that once those mistakes are baked in, they become very, very hard for the many, many la- layers of oversight to, to uncover. That's the thing. If I were Director Ray, that I would focus on. You got to learn today. from those mistakes and make sure it doesn't Absolutely. happen again. Andrew McCabe, Absolutely. thanks very, very much for coming in. Thanks, Wolf. That that, that that's throw. He throws the agents under the bus. The biggest mistake we made was letting these agents go and do things and not supervising them, especially since you were their supervisor. You were running the place. That was a pretty big mistake. It's not like, oh, yes, this was my responsibility. I'm ultimately responsible, but the, we didn't see these things. I, I mean, at least at least Comey, you know, sleazy weasel that he is, at least Comey did say that he was ultimately responsible. McCabe throws the agents under the bus. This, I, I think if I were an FBI agent, I would be fuming right now, I got to say, because like I said, I would guess a huge, huge percentage of these people, and I've dealt with the FBI as both a reporter and a novelist, a huge percentage of them, I think, are terrific law enforcement officers, and these guys betrayed them, betrayed them by being incompetent, if not utterly political. And then, and then, talking about people not know, not being able to find out things that they don't know, they keep bringing this guy, Adam Schiff, on. And Adam Schiff is on Morning Joe, okay? And Morning Joe is just basically carrying water for the left at this point. And at least it's MSNBC. Everybody knows what he thinks. It's an opinion show, so I'm not going to nail him too hard. But he keeps having this guy on, this Adam Schiff, who's just, we know he lies, right? And so he, he says, he keeps saying that he couldn't have known about these FBI abuses, even though Devin Nunes released this memo that told the truth. And he said, and he released a memo saying that Nunez's memo was wrong. He keeps saying he couldn't possibly have known. So Joe Scarborough says, well, didn't, didn't Nunez know? Here's what uh, Schiff says. Two years ago, we didn't know what we know today. Mm. Um, two years ago, when Mr. Nunez was saying this investigation was improperly begun, they were spying on the Trump campaign, this was all driven by political bias. Of course, all that was wrong. He also speculated that there were problems with the FISA applications. That ended up being correct, but not for the reasons that he said. Uh, it ended up being correct because we would learn two years later that an FBI low-level lawyer uh, falsified information that went into the FISA, that they withheld Did information. Did Devin Nunes know that two years ago? No. You're a damn liar, man. That's not true. As Joe Biden says, I mean, and I wouldn't, I don't, never quote Joe Biden lightly because I never know what the hell he's saying, but <laughs> that is a flat out lie, okay? Let me just read you just a little bit of the main points of Devin Nunes' memo, right? This is two years old. The dossier compiled by Christopher Steele on behalf of the Democratic National Committee and the Hillary Clinton campaign formed an essential part of the Carter Page FISA application, and neither the initial application nor any of the renewals disclose or reference the role of the DNC, Clinton campaign, or any party campaign in funding Steele's effort, even though the political origins of the Steele dossier 
dossier with a known to senior DOJ and FBI officials, and there was an obscure little note in there, but otherwise totally correct. The Carter Page FISA application also cited extensively uh, a Yahoo News article by Michael Isakoff. This article does not corroborate the Steele dossier because it is derived from information leaked by Steele himself. So that also was true. Uh, he goes on, according to the head of the FBI's counterintelligence division, assistant director Bill Priestap, corroboration of the Steele dossier was in its infancy at the time of the initial page FISA application. After Steele was terminated, a source validation report conducted by an independent unit within FBI assessed Steele's reporting as only minimally corroborated. Every single word, bingo. The mis- one mistake he makes is he says the investigation was started by Peter Strzok, but apparently it was started uh, by Priestap. Other than that, he got it all. It was all true. So Schiff, who lied about the proof that he had proof about Russian collusion, which was completely dismissed by Mueller, who lied about his collusion with the Ukraine whistleblower, now lies to Scarborough's face. And you can hear Mika grunting in agreement. Yes, yes, we couldn't have known. We couldn't have known. And you say, like, why don't they challenge him? Why do they keep listening to him? Why do they keep bringing him on? You know, uh, the great uh, uh, Brit Hume uh, put out a tweet saying, it's a mystery, it's a mystery why they keep falling for this guy. But it's not a mystery, and I'll show you why. Here is a Grabian montage, a montage from the Grabian site, of how the media covered the Nunes memo when it was first released. And this goes, it starts with MSNBC and CNN, but it goes to some of the major networks Two, finally, here's, here's how they covered the Nunes memo when it was released. The Nunes memo is a dud. Let's start with Sean Hannity. Uh, not to be undeterred uh, by the sort of dud factor of the memo. That this d- memo was a complete dud. It overpromised and underdelivered. I mean, it's, it's pretty much a dud. I, I got to tell you, though, I mean, it's kind of a dud. It doesn't really deliver. I prefer really big revealing documents to really narrow duds. This looks... Like a dud. I could tell you from reading this memo and consulting with a wide range of experts, it's a dud. This memo is a dud. Nothing. A dud. But it is nothing. A nothing burger. And less interesting about this memo is what what is in it. It's pretty much a nothing burger. A nothing burger. Quote, dishonest, misleading, partisan nothing burger. The only thing I fear from this memo, because I think it's really been a huge dud. Uh, Some of the GOP uh, Tea Party members were out there saying that this is the most vile thing they'd ever seen. Uh, And it's a big dud. Uh, It's a dud. Unfortunately, it fell flat yesterday, much, I think, to the chagrin of the president. This memo was a complete dud. Everybody knows it was kind of a dud, even the people in the Republican Party. (laughs) Pretty pretty amazing stuff. I mean, it was obviously a talking point, obviously passed around, probably coordinated with the Democrats. If you're an ordinary liberal Democrat voter, this is how you're getting your news. This is what you're hearing, which means that we only have to keep telling the truth. It's like George Washington. George Washington didn't have to beat the British in battle. He simply had to survive. He simply had to survive. If we keep telling the truth, if we don't let them intimidate us, if we fight back when they kick us off Twitter and when they try to uh, demonetize us on YouTube, if we keep bringing that to people's attention, if we keep talking, if we keep uh, uh, surviving, basically, and keep telling the truth and not let the, the empire of lies shut us down, We can win this. We can turn this around because this is a true violation, a true scandal, a true violation of America's civil rights, much, much more important than anything that Trump said to the president of Ukraine. And we can get that information out there. And there are people who will listen. There are decent left-wing people who will listen. There are plenty who won't. There are plenty who only vote the way they have always voted. But there are plenty of people who will 
listen when they understand that this is the truth. All right, we got the mailbag coming up, but before we break, let me tell you, if you are still shopping for presents, stop shopping for presents because we have the perfect gift for your loved ones, especially your liberal loved ones this season, a Daily Wire gift membership. From now till January 1st, all Insider Plus gift memberships will be 25% off. That means your loved one will get all the fantastic perks plus the majestic, unique, spectacular, ever so beautiful, leftist tears, tumbler, and you'll get the savings because you'll be the one buying the gift, right? Again, that's 25% off all Insider Plus gift memberships this holiday season. Give them a gift. They'll thank you for all year long. Go to dailywire.com slash gift to get your 25% off. Again, that's dailywire.com slash gift. I'm Donald Trump, and I approve this message. <laughs> he does approve this message. We're lying. He didn't approve this message. But, but anyway, he would if he if he knew, he would approve this message. Come over to dailywire.com and subscribe and listen to the mailbag. All right, before I get to the mailbag, I just want to clarify one thing about what I said yesterday. I was talking about uh, Hallmark, and remember Hallmark played an ad that had a lesbian wedding in it. Uh, Conservatives protested, they took the ad down, and then gay people protested, they put the ad back up with a lot of, you know, kind of Stalinist weeping and everything. And my wife said it sounded like I was attacking them for pulling the ad, but I wasn't. I was attacking them for having no principles whatsoever and for not knowing what their principles were and simply reacting to the marketplace. I, what I, I just think that corporations ought to believe in something, they ought to stand for something, just like people ought to believe in something and stand for something above and beyond profits. If you don't stand for anything above and beyond profits, you're gonna go down some very dark paths and that is not enough. Capitalism is not enough to run a business on. You've gotta run it with some kind of principles. I don't care. I, I could not care less what Hallmark thinks about gay people. I just think they should think what they think and stand for what they think like everybody else, like the rest of us. All right, mailbag. Ah! <laughs> what the hell was that? <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> From Dylan, I am a huge fan and I own all but four of your fiction books. What's what's holding you back? Uh, I'm a recent subscriber and a devout Christian. A question that comes up in Bible studies and private talks with other Christians is that if abortion is the murder of an innocent life and I am an able-bodied person able to intervene and prevent the crime, why don't all Christians and pro-life people band together and simply go stop all abortions? Not by extremely violent ways, but simply have a thousand Christians go sit in front of the doors of each and every abortion mill. And, there, and there's a perfectly good reason, and I understand what you're saying, and I understand where the, the question comes from, but there's a perfectly good reason why you don't, it would fail, it would not save a single life, and it would set us back in the fight that I think we are slowly winning against abortion. Abortion, I think we're going to slowly win this fight because science is proving us right at every step of the way, and logic is proving us right at every step of the way, and morally, we are right. There's no, there's no two ways about this. We are right about abortion. And so, if you do this, I mean, the police will ultimately come and break it up. You're not going to be allowed to keep people out of the abortion place, so they will go in and do it. And we'll, we'll stop having the high ground, the advantage of winning the argument, which I think we can do over time. So I, I just, I think the simple reason is it's the wrong strategy. Uh, I understand the urgency of it. I understand that you're sa- you want to save lives. But I don't think that that's going to do it in the long run. And I think this is a long-haul fight that we can win. We, we lost this. Uh, by kind of subterranean means, the Supreme Court basically took our vote away, but on, on false uh, pre- on a false premise, 
that the Constitution guarantees the right to kill a child. That's not true. The baby has a right to life just because he can't see it doesn't mean it doesn't have a right to life. Just because, even just because uh, it it can't. Um, make the choice. It just can't speak. The baby can't speak for himself. That's the only reason you're allowed to kill babies uh, in the womb. That's the only reason. They would never be able to do it otherwise. Anyway, uh, that's that. I do not think is the right um, the right approach. Anyway, from Kyle, this is a very long letter, and I'm gonna. It's also about abortion. I'm gonna have to sum it up. Uh, he's 23, happily married with a baby on the way. It's his first and his wife's second. His wife had a baby who had a horrible disease, and they knew it was a terminal disease. Uh, it's called hydroencephalitis, I think, hydroencephaly. Uh, and a children born like this doesn't usually doesn't live longer than a few days, but she took very good care of this child and lived for over seven months. And then the baby died, and he has two questions. The one thing was that at one point, she had the opportunity to have a shunt put in, which would have possibly prolonged the child's life, and she didn't. It would not have improved the child's life, uh, but she didn't have the shunt put put in. Uh, and the other was she has begged her. She has begged her husband, if this child um, is is um, afflicted in that way, please don't insist that she carry it to term. Okay. Now, the, right now, he says the baby is looking great. So this is a purely theoretical question. And he's asking how I feel about this. First of all, it's, it's, it's two separate questions. I do not believe that you have to take measures to prolong a life that is a life of agony and a life of, that is not going anywhere uh, in constructive. You do not have to take measures to prolong life. That is not, I, I think, uh, an essentially pro-life position. I, I don't think you have to keep people alive once they're, you know, once they want to die, I don't have any problem with somebody saying that to st stop the treatment. Uh, you know, if, if what you're talking about is natural life, then that's what you're talking about, and you don't have to take uh, any any measures that you don't want to take. And in this case, I, I personally would have done the same thing. I think that's the right decision. The other decision, the 100% morally right decision, is not to kill the baby. There are plenty of stories of babies who have been deemed uh, to have uh, terrible diseases who were then born and did not have terrible diseases. But I totally understand why you say, at one point the, the guy in the letter says he doesn't want to stand on his high horse and insist that his wife go through this terrible, terrible grief again. He's, again, he's talking in a speculative way, the baby seems to be fine, please God, you know, and I, it's, I understand, but I understand why he's thinking about this and he's wrestling with this. I totally understand what you're doing. If this were my daughter, I would tell her to pray, I would tell her to talk to her husband, I would tell her to do the right thing, and then I would go off and pray, but I would certainly not pass judgment on her decision. The 100% morally right thing to do is to let the baby, is not to kill the baby, I mean, is not to, uh, not to take part in a mercy killing in which somebody does not have a, cannot make a choice for themselves. However, I totally understand what you're saying, and in the event that such a terrible thing would happen, and God forbid it happens to you, uh, I suggest you pray, I suggest you talk to your wife, I suggest you do what in your heart and in before the throne of God you feel you can justify. That's, that's the way I feel about it. I understand, listen, I understand in a situation like this, things get very, very gray, things get very, very strange, and anybody who pounds his fist into his hand and tells you he knows exactly what he would do in that situation, exactly what he would do if his daughter was in that situation, is lying. I mean, 
However, just because we do extreme things in extreme situations doesn't change the moral framework uh, that we're living in. And so, again, a complicated, difficult question. I'm telling you what the 100% moral thing to do is, but I'm also telling you that like, I would not pass, I'm not gonna pass judgment on you or anybody else in a situation that tragic and that terrible. Um, complex, nuanced answer, but there it is. But 100% correct, as always. Uh, from Frankie, with all the gun ban confiscation talk in Virginia, it said that if we don't abide by the law, we'll be arrested and charged with a class six felony. Uh, if it comes to pass and they try and force their laws, there'll be so many people for the prison system to hold, um, but they'll be charged with a fe felony and they won't be able to vote. And so he's wondering basically if Democrats are just trying this gun grab uh, because they want to take away Republicans' votes. No, you're overthinking it. They actually want to grab your guns. First of all, I, you know, they are going to have to go to court. They are going to go to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court has been very favorable toward the Second Amendment, has upheld the Second Amendment. Uh, they're not going to come around grabbing your guns in a big hurry, I don't think. Uh, but, but no, I don't think they're trying to take your vote away. I think they're trying to take your guns away. And they're trying to take your guns away because they don't want the people to have the final say in how the government is run. That's what guns are about. This Guns are about the, the people and the state being able to form a militia to defend themselves from intrusion over in, an over-intrusive federal government. That's why you were given the right to bear arms. That's what the right to bear arms uh, protects. That's why they don't want you to have the right to bear arms, because they don't want you to have the First Amendment, so they don't want you to have the Second Amendment, amendment which is what you need in an extreme case to defend the First Amendment. Um, from Michael, Dear Clavin the Wise, I am currently a sophomore in high school and I'm struggling to find discipline in my work. Whenever it's time to work or study, I can never bring myself to do it. I'm horribly ashamed of my actions and know they are preventing me from becoming the best version of myself. I really want to change, but I have no fire inside me to do anything about it. It feels like I'm watching someone else go through the day. I feel like because of my slothfulness, I have no hope of changing. I've spent a lot of time researching the growth mindset and a positive attitude, but in the end, I always become lazy or overwhelmed. Do you have any recommendations on how to forge discipline in myself and start caring about my work? Well, I do. I do have recommendations about how to do that. I'm, wor I'm a little worried that you're depressed or you have some other thing that's bothering you. Um, you know, I'm wondering what you're doing when you're not working. Are you watching porn? Are you doing drugs? Are you doing thing other things that you shouldn't be doing? I don't know. And if you feel that there's something like that, go to a therapist. Go to go find a counselor to see if what, what is bothering you so much that you can't do this. I'm worried there's an underlying problem. But the problem itself, for the problem that you're actually presenting me with. Um, do everything in small measures. This is how I've built, I, I have tremendous discipline. I have to, I work for myself, I work by myself. I have to show up and, and do what I have to do. There's nobody to tell me to write a book. I have to write that book. And the way you do that is you build your disciplines slow by slow. You do, you know, if, if you're trying to exercise, for instance, you take a walk for 10 minutes. Then you take a walk for 15 minutes. And over time, you build that up, and then maybe you run for five minutes, and then they walk the rest of the time. Slow, slow increments. So do the same thing with your schoolwork. Set a period of time when you're going to do your work, do your work, and do it a, a little bit of it each time. And don't worry that it's too little. And when you feel that you can do that much, do a little bit more. And just don't let yourself fall off. And if you do fall off, start again and do it again, and just keep at it. But again, I'm a little concerned 
just reading this letter that there's an underlying problem. So you, if, if you think there is, you should look into it. But try, try this. Try building your discipline, whatever you're trying to do in your work. Try doing it just a little bit each day and then do it a little more and a little more and a little more and see if that really helps. Because once you have discipline, it's very hard to break. It's very hard for me to break my discipline. I've been trying to take it a little slower this Christmas season because I worked very hard this year and I got very tired. So I've been trying to relax and take it a little slower. It's very hard for me to do because my discipline is now so ingrained that it's hard for me to let it go. Uh, all right, I have time for one more from Rebecca. Uh, hello, Sir Clavin. My name is Rebecca, and I'm taking a sociology class this semester, and we just finished reading Gideon's Trumpet. I read that when I was in high school, too. Uh, it's all about the right to a court-appointed lawyer. So my professor assigned an essay topic I would really love your input on. He asked if the U.S. should give free lawyers to immigrants in the immigration courts. He is a leftist and presented the question saying that there are many children having to go before a judge who don't even speak English, and so he asked, do we think the U.S. should appoint them a lawyer for free? Again, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this topic. Love your show. Love Another Kingdom. That's, that's nice to hear. Um, well, okay, there, there are rules and laws in place about this. I mean, the 14th Amendment, I'm always bad at naming the amendments, so don't blame me if I got it wrong, but I think it's the 14th, says all people have the right to due process. It doesn't say all citizens, it says all people have the right to due process. So immigrants have the right to due process. There's some exceptions. Uh, if some, pe there's some, some people who can just be expedited a deportation, you can just be sent back, but most people have some kind of rights to this. And you have a right to counsel, uh, anyone who faces a criminal, criminal charge uh, has a right to counsel, but the government only has to give you counsel if you're charged with a felony and crossing the border illegally is a misdemeanor. So no, you do not have the right to counsel if you're, if you're in a deportation hearing. You don't have the right to provided counsel. You do have the right to counsel if you can afford it. So my question for your leftist teacher is, if, he, if it's so important to him that it, illegal immigrants have American rights, shouldn't it be important to him that the American law is enforced? If he wants to enforce the Constitution insofar as giving, making sure that illegal immigrants have a right to counsel, why doesn't he want to enforce our laws when it comes to the border? It doesn't seem to me that picking and choosing laws creates a lawful constitutional society because then the Constitution stops working whenever he or any other leftist has his feelings hurt but, you know, because he sees a child who's not doing well under the Constitution. Either the law and the Constitution are in place or it's not. Why should they get any counsel? Why should they have the right to any due process except for the fact that it's in the law? So if it's in the law and we want to obey the law, they shouldn't have come into the country and they should be prosecuted for it. So try that argument on him and see how he likes them apples. But I think the important thing is they, they have their due process rights are in place. The courts do look over them and one of them is not the right to free counsel. I got to stop there. Last Claven day before the long, long Clavenless holiday. You want to be here to suck up all the Clavenly goodness you have, you can, because after that, you'll just be left with the birth of Christ. Well, I guess that's pretty good too. I'm Andrew Claven. This is the Andrew Claven Show. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five-star review and also tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Wall Show, and The Michael Knoll Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Claven Show is produced by Austin Stevens and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay, and our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Assistant Director, Pavel Wydowski. 
edited by Adam Saevitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. And our production assistant is Nick Sheehan. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. Democrats are officially impeaching President Trump, escalating to unprecedented and historic heights their three-year crusade to overturn a presidential election and subvert our constitutional order. Have they finally gone too far? As the left threatens to undermine our laws, open our borders, steal our property, destroy our institutions, and force taxpayers to fund the wholesale slaughter of infants, the stakes of the 2020 election become clear. The left wants a fight. We will examine the political merits of scorched earth. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.